Hey, everybody. Welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo. That's me. I'm Father John. I'm the executive director at Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. I'm here, as usual, with my uh, good friend, teammate, Mary. And, Mary, we got a special guest. We do. We have Deacon Steve Mitchell with us today. Steve, it's so great to have you here. Hey, guys. It's <laughs> it's good to be here. It's good to see you. After a long uh, month, like, long vacation. Yeah. Have you seen Nick anywhere? Uh, I just moved his bobblehead over, <laughs> okay, and cool. I just I took his seat. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. So, Nick, sorry, we miss you, bro, but we got uh, Deacon Steve, affectionately mm. known as Moses. Uh, we'll mm. explain that someday, but uh, not today. Uh, Mary, what's our topic? Yeah, so Father John and Deacon Steve, our topic today is, how can we enter in to Holy Week? How can we understand and approach the week that we're about to enter into? Or perhaps a better way to say that is, what was Jesus doing on the cross. Oh, I love that question. Mm-hmm. How about that? Father John. Because it doesn't look like he's doing anything, does he? No, it looks like something's being done to him. We get to rip this apart. Okay, yeah. so we should probably pray first. Open in prayer, Let's please. Let's do that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Father, we thank you for these great days that have begun. This time when we are uh, invited to call upon an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to fall upon us that we might gaze upon your son's cross with new eyes. Lord, we just ask that you would help us to understand the mystery of the faith like never before this week. May this not be stale or old, let alone something we've become used to. Rather, help us understand more deeply who Jesus is, what he's doing, how it is that we should respond, and the message that you're asking us to proclaim into a world and a culture that is riddled with anxiety and fear and loneliness. So we ask for your spirit to be upon us now. Bless and anoint our conversation. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what's the question again? Yeah, so... You know, it's hard to believe that Lent is already, it's coming to a close. Holy Week's here. And I think. Just heard the Passion yesterday. Just heard the Passion yesterday. So, Father John, maybe you should, maybe you could kind of help walk us through how it is we can enter into this Holy Week in a fresh way. Yeah, so Steve, you and I, I mean, this is uh, particularly rich for us, huh? Because we get Mm -hmm. to preach on this all the time. And Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, I've always found this week to be. much like Christmas, these days are like the toughest days to preach. They are. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure why, but they they just are. I, there's but so th- much. There's there's just yeah. There's, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, and like, how do you how do you put into words what it is we're celebrating? Right. I mean, after the after you the passion is proclaimed, it's almost like. Um, what else is there to say? Yeah, exactly. You know? And yet I think, you know, I think but one of the reasons so why this topic is so important is because I don't think most people really understand what it is that's going on in the Passion. It, right. It, it, precisely to that question that you asked, Mary, like, what is Jesus doing on the cross? Because, again, it doesn't look like he's doing anything, right? I mean, our crucifixes are so sterile. They're so oh. cleaned up. I mean, a, a man who was crucified by the Romans is stark naked. He's ripped to shreds by the scourging that's taken place, right? Right. And this is not happening in a basement somewhere. No, this, this is on a main road on the way into Jerusalem. Public so execution. everybody 
Yeah. Everybody sees him, and he's, I mean, the idea is humiliation and total suffering. Yeah, it's ritual and, humiliation. And, yeah. And, 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 hey, this is what happens. Right. If you... If you mess cross us, us, mess with us. That's right. This is what happens. Yeah, th- this is kind of like this is the Roman Empire's version of March Madness. I mean, I mean that quite seriously, actually. Like this is a sport for the Romans. Like people are supposed to go to ritual executions, and everybody has a role to play. They're there. They mock. They jeer. You know, they boo. I mean, th- this is entertainment for them, right? I mean, as, as Americans, I don't think we can fathom this. Uh, but that's what's going on here. And so here's this man nailed to a tree, right, to a cross, crowned with thorns, stark naked, bleeding. Every drop of fluid's coming out of his body. He doesn't right. look human. And again, you're going to ask me, what's he doing on the cross? Looks like he's bleeding he, to death. That's what it looks like he's death, doing, yeah. right? And he's he, everything has been done to him. Yeah. Right. Or so it seems. Or so it seems. Right. So here's what I find to be – we were talking about this the other day uh, in our chapel at Mass, uh, talking about the importance of an epilogue, you know, so mm. those little sentences that are written at the beginning of a book, which sets the theme or the tone for how to read the whole book. And so the epilogue for Holy Week, I might suggest, could be one of these two quotes. Either when Jesus says, um, no one takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up. That, that could be a potential epilogue. So that as we look at Jesus hanging on the cross, we recognize no one's taking this from him. He's doing this. Or another quote from the Gospel of John where Jesus says, right before he enters into his passion, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. And again, I think that's so important because I think I just don't think we understand how we're supposed to enter into these days because, you know, we've had, you know, since Christmas till now, we've, we've seen, you know, the birth of our Lord. We've seen all these miracles. We've walked through Lent. We're seeing tremendous signs and wonders. I mean, the last three weeks, raising the dead man, sight to the blind, you know, uh, talking to the Samaritan woman, you know, like miracle after miracle after a miracle. And then what happens? Right. All of a sudden, he's totally helpless. Yeah, it's like Close. kryptonite got thrown in. It, right. You know, but there Where's is no kryptonite for Jesus. There is none. Like, no one right. has kryptonite for Jesus, right? This is the one through whom the universe that is how big? 46, 46. billion light years across. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one through whom that was all created. You can't nail God to a cross. Like, you can't underscore that enough. But we can so quickly forget those passages in Scripture, those epilogues that you just spoke about, because from a human perspective, what you're watching makes no sense from our perspective, given all that we've seen in the Gospels. Absolutely. So the only way Jesus can get on a cross, there's only one way God can get on a cross. He has to want to be there. I love that uh, line you use, Father John. Where do you get a nail to to put God on a cross? Where do you get that nail? That nail doesn't exist. Where's the hardware store in the the universe, right? right? I mean, like Satan can't get that nail. Can't get that nail. And and so the only way he can be there, he has to want to be there. Why in the world would Jesus want to be on a cross? And so we want to just, uh, we've done this before, but we we think this bears repeating, especially in this week, just because every time, I mean, this is the the tip of the spear for us when we're Mm -hmm. preaching to to priests and to others, right, is just to kind of break open um, 
the gospel in a way that makes sense and helps us understand what the Lord's done for us and how we should respond. And I think, tragically, most people never hear this preached. I know I never did when I was growing up. I don't think I ever preached it until not that long ago. And when you did, it was the first time I heard it preached that way. And it changed everything. Yeah, and, and, it really did. It and was, so I remember the first time I did it, we had a priest with us who used to teach at the seminary, and he came up to me, and I thought, oh, no, like this dude's going to turn me into the bishop for preaching heresy. <laughs> and he says, you know, you just preached the three classical ways of understanding the passion. And I went, oh, of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> like, I knew that. I did? <laughs> he goes, yeah, you should take a look at this, this book. So he showed me this book, and he, it was really helpful for me just because this was just how the Lord was working in my life, trying to emphasize one thing in particular. But anyway, the three ways of understanding what Jesus was doing on the cross are these. And we usually hear two of them. Right. But not the third. So the first thing is Jesus on the cross is showing us God's love, the love of the Father. Right. Right. Remember, we grew up, we're watching the World Series game. There's that guy. There's that guy with the hair yeah. and the sign. <laughs> yeah, the John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Yeah, that yeah, he sent his, sin only, his begotten only begotten son. son. Right. And, uh, yeah. So that's true, right? God is showing us how much he loves us. Indeed right? it What's is. the story? You know, I asked Jesus how much he loved me, and he... Spread his arms and showed me this much, right? Yeah, you know, right. like, that's cute. That yeah. moves a lot of people. Right. Some people, it doesn't move at all. But it's true. Like, right. one of the things Jesus is doing on the cross is he's showing us how much God loves us. Right. So, as we enter into Holy Week, as we get ready to to look at the Lord on the cross and enter into his passion, those of us who right now are listening, who don't feel loved, who feel abandoned, who feel rejected, who don't feel like they matter, just understand as you look at Jesus on the cross, that's what he's showing you. You matter this much that the God who made the universe would be on a cross for you. And so maybe just ask the Holy Spirit, show me that this is true, that these aren't just words, that he's there for me. Because most of us desperately need to hear that. Mm -hmm. You know, we just long to know that, that we're loved. Right? right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Second thing he's doing on the cross, he's making atonement for us. Now, now this, one's, this one's harder to understand, I think. You know, like Jesus is becoming sin, sin right? That's right. what Paul says in 2 Corinthians right. 5. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. I, I don't have a clue what that means. That it, the great exchange. It's it's really difficult to yeah. How does God become sin? How does the whole in you know the holy of holies in 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 Isaiah and how do, how does he become sin? I. And it's hard yeah, to get your head hard. around that, that whole atonement theory. You, right? you know, you look at Jesus on the cross, and you're going, okay, this man is in utter anguish and agony because of the torture that he's gone through. Right. That physical torture is nothing in comparison to the spiritual pain he's experiencing because he's absorbing into his body, not just like all the sins I've ever committed, but all the all sins the you've committed, and you've committed, and the whole world... From the beginning of time. Until right. the end when he comes right. back, right? Right. And so if the torture is what it is and it's so obvious and it's dwarfed by the spiritual pain, imagine the spiritual pain, right? Yeah. I, I, Peter writes in First uh, Peter, he says, you know, in his body he bore our sins on the cross. 
That's what's happening there. But I don't know about you. I mean, like, I think most people find that even more difficult to relate to than, you know, showing me God's love. God's love, right. No, I know I need atonement. I know something has to be done, and I know I can't do it, but just that whole, that thing that God actually becomes sin is... And you're not that bad a guy, really, are you? Well, uh, well, that'll be another topic for another day. But we don't feel like... No, we don't. I mean, I'm not... I'm not Hitler. I'm better. I'm, right. You know, because that's what we do. We make comparisons. We do. I'm not that right. bad, right? Right. And the reality is, well, there is no scale. No, <laughs> you know, the scale like, is great on a curve. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I remember when. Uh, oh, this will sound terrible, but I remember it was. I won't even mention who it was, but it was. Uh, it was not too long ago. It was within the last twenty years, and there was going to be a an execution of a a leader of a country, and. People were just rejoicing over it. I mean, it was actually televised, at least in parts of the world, right? Right. And I remember as I'm, I, I found myself praying for this man as this was about to happen. And then I had the thought as I'm praying for him, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of the love of God and that Jesus on the cross made atonement for him and for me. And I'm, I'm trying to picture, Lord, would that you would welcome him home right. and embrace him and, and show him mercy. And so I'm praying that way. And then I thought, holy cow, like if he gets in, I'm golden. You know, like, <laughs> right. I got to be in. Like, I haven't done anything like this guy's done. And then the Lord said, what makes you think that? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you maybe not have done what he's done, but you've done what you've done. And that's enough. Mm-hmm. And I don't grade on a curve. And everybody needs atonement. So Jesus is making atonement, right? Huh. So those two are there. We usually hear those. Those are, those are the ones we hear. And yeah. those are the ones that we preached on for years until God revealed something to you that blew everything open for so many people. Yeah, so the third thing Jesus is doing on the cross, which the fathers of the church, the early church fathers, you know, these who preached right after the apostles for the first number of centuries, um, Jesus on the cross is going to war. And he's going to war to rescue us. So think of like uh, after Jesus drives out the demon in uh, the Gospels, and then the uh, the Pharisees accuse him of doing this by a demon, and, and Jesus says, like, if I'm driving out demons by Satan, like, who are y'all driving out demons by, right? And then he tells this parable, and the parable is to try to help us understand what's, what's at the heart of Jesus's mission, right? And he says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his palace— his possessions are safe. Who's the strong man? The devil. Yeah, it's Satan, it's right? What's his palace? The world. The world. Yeah, what are his goods? Us. Yeah, you and me. me. And then Jesus goes on to say in Luke's gospel, but when one stronger than he assails him and attacks him and overcomes him, then his possessions go free. So Jesus is the assailant. He's the one who's stronger than the devil, and he's overcoming him, and he's assailing him, strange as this sounds, on the cross. And so the words that we use all the time, right, to describe this are these words that Jesus gave to me in prayer one day, um, ambush predators here in our chapel, right, (laughs) hanging above the crucifix in our chapel. So the Lord on the crucifix is like an ambush predator, which is this creature they're everywhere. They're in the woods. They're in the water. They're probably in your bed. They're in your house, certainly, right? They Thanks for that. Right? Thank you. Yeah. Doesn't that make you feel I'll good? I'll sleep easy tonight. Sleeping above my... No, get under the covers. Mm-hmm. Just like shop back the thing before you get in. 
So they're, they're creatures that lie motionless and still, camouflage with their environment for one purpose, to draw the prey close. And that's what Jesus is doing on the cross. And as strange as this might sound to, to many of us, this is the consistent theme of uh, father after father after father, church father in the early church, Augustine, Irenaeus, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, Athanasius, uh, St. Ephraim, uh, Melito of Sardis, over and over and over again. So when you ask Mary, what's he doing on the cross? Yes, he's showing me how much God loves me. Yes, he's yes. making atonement. Atonement. But he's rescuing me by going to battle for me against the devil. Does that make sense? It does, and it changes, like you said, Deacon Steve, absolutely everything. So I can, I, I as a woman, this appeals to me. I, I, I assume it appeals to men in a very particular way. But as a woman, it appeals to me. And I have to tell you, just that whole line, he's going to war, but he's, but he's doing that to rescue me. And I can't tell you how many times as I pray with the Word of God that the word rescued over the last year and a half to two years, since you started to share this with all of us, that rescue just jumps off the page. I had never heard of it before. So can you like it didn't like it didn't like it you're reading the word of God, but all of a sudden rescue's like all over the place. So give us who are men a little bit more of a glimpse as to why that appeals to you as a woman, because it's so different from us and it's so important. And I know our sisters who are listening have the same thought. I don't know, Father, I, I, I don't know if I'll say it very well or not, but there's something about someone, a man, finding me worth dying for. Me, dying for. Someone who sees me, loves me, no matter what, and says, I'll take care of you. You're mine. You're my daughter. You know, it, it, my it's bride. just, it, my bride, I mean, my princess, my, it, there's just... And I don't want to over-romanticize it because we were just talking about sin. I know what I have done. I know what he's rescued me from. But I'm his. And he thought I was worth dying for. That's, that just changes my world as a, as a woman. And he doesn't define you by your sin. No, we're not defined right. by right. that. Right. So he still thinks, no matter what's in your past, for anybody's past, he still thinks, no, I'm going to the cross for you. I'm going to do battle for you. I'm going to overcome the strong man yeah. for you. I'm going to bring you home. Right? Yeah. Now, as men, I mean, you were in the service, right? You were in the Air Force, right? Some people call that the service. <laughs> <laughs> no, Only you what? can say that. I know, I know. No, you know. Don't say it. So yes, you I was in the service. I was in the service. No, right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, yes, I was in the service, yeah. And um, it, it, it's, um, you know, it, I, I never... I never was in combat, but there is that day when you take that oath and you sign a blank check. You know, that's, and that's what God did. And this is the commander. I mean, I think the reason why it strikes me so much, I mean, I, I have is, so much respect for those of you who've been in the, in the military. This is the one who's calling us to follow him, right? Right. He, he's at the front of the battle. He's actually not just at the front of the battle. He's he, engaging in it alone. Alone, right. <laughs> And, and then this is the one who's calling me to follow him, right? right? Yep. And so the, the Lord is going to the cross who's deceiving the deceiver. That's how the early church used to talk about it all the time. Like it's only fitting, they would say, that the one who deceived our race at the beginning of our history should himself be deceived 
and in the process bring about his own destruction. Like this is so clever by God because it would never dawn on Satan that God would become a creature to save his creatures in his pride and his arrogance. There's no way. No way. God would lower himself and humble himself to do this. It's just not fathomable to him. That's how he tricks him. Right. Right? And so there are so many places that we could look. Maybe we could just, we can end with this. I, I'm always trying to get new passages from, from some of the fathers of the church who talk about it. This is from St. Athanasius. Listen to how Athanasius talks about this. He says, The Lord hooked him like a serpent using the hook of the cross and he was bound with a halter like a beast of burden and tied up in chains like a runaway slave, his lips pierced by an iron ring, and he was not given the chance to devour any of the faithful at all. Now he is as miserable as a sparrow, caught by Christ in the net to be mocked at. Now he groans for his companions, who've been trodden beneath the Christian's heel like scorpions and serpents. He who took pride in the fact that he had destroyed all the seas. He who promised that he would hold the world in his hand. Look at him. You, Lord, have conquered him. And look how he is unable to prevent me from arguing with him. Mm. My gosh. See, the, the father's just like talked trash to death <laughs> and to the devil. That's some trash talk. <laughs> like you not only don't win, you already lost. And the Lord has triumphed over you. And that Lord is sending us out on mission. And that is why we can have unshakable confidence. That's right. In Jesus. Yeah, which is right? not to be we say it over and over again. This is not to be naive. This is not to be optimistic even. Like right. it it could get really hard for us. But once you once you're no longer afraid of death, you're free. You're yeah, totally free. Right. And this is this is so important to understand that um, the power because this is this is the power that pumps through our veins. This is the power that death bows to. This is the mm. only one that death bows to. That's right. And that power is accessible to us. Yeah. The Holy Spirit lives in you. That power <laughs> lives in us. Yeah. Lives in you. I mean, right. Father Francis Martin used to be one of my uh, great mentors. He says, the Holy Spirit lives in you the way heat lives in hot water, mm. which is to say everywhere. The one who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. And so again and again in the middle of this world, which is so panicked and anxious and afraid of so many things, not least of which is death, the Lord's triumphed over death. You have nothing to be afraid of if you believe in the Lord. And so as we enter into this week, as we get ready for these extraordinary days that are about to begin, let's just pray that the Holy Spirit will give us new eyes to understand what it is that Jesus is accomplishing for us and doing for us on the cross. And then let's be resolved to be heralds of hope in a mm. culture that is so desperate for it. And because mm. Jesus is Lord, which means nobody else is, do not be afraid. God is with you. And you were born for this. Mm -hmm.